This episode of Positive Space is brought to you by the Folding Art Horse, makers of professional-grade drawing horses. The patented Folding Art Horse uniquely folds flat, allowing for greater storage and portability. If you or your university don't have much storage space, the Folding Art Horse is for you. They're great for travel, too. Check out the Folding Art Horse at thefoldingarthorse.com. Welcome to Positive Space, Conversations and Art Foundations, a production of Foundations in Art, Theory, and Education, also known as FATE. Positive Space is a podcast providing opportunities for those passionate about art foundations to discuss and promote excellence in the development and teaching of college-level foundations in art studio and art history classes. Hey there, this is Valerie Powell, and welcome to Positive Space. Today, joining me via Skype, I've got Allison Yasukawa, who is joining us. She is a faculty in critical studies at Cal Arts. Welcome, Allison. Hi, I'm glad to be here remotely. Yeah, <laughs> via satellite or right, exactly. magic or right. however magic. the... Exactly. I don't understand the internet. These these are things I should probably not admit in, in this sort of format, but but I'm just really excited to, to get to chat with you. I know we got to spend some time together at CAA at the College Art Association Conference this year uh, in New York, and you had a panel, and I want to kind of talk more about that, but maybe before we get into that, can you tell us a little bit about your role at Cal Arts and, and the kind of work that you're making and, and the kind of teaching classes that, that you're doing there? Sure. So um, I, as you said, I teach in the um, critical studies school at CalArts, and my role there is to work with international students who are non-native English speakers. So I work with both undergraduates and grad students, and I'm really, I'm working with students on their language development, but on language development that's specific to their arts practice. And so CalArts has uh, visual arts and design, but also dance and theater and music. So visual and performing arts. So I have students from all different schools working on all different kinds of things. And they need language to do much of what they're doing. Uh, mm-hmm. So that's, that's, those are the classes that I'm teaching there. And I, my own work is actually, in, in a lot of ways, really li- related to my teaching practice. So I got interested in language instruction because I care a lot about social interaction and Mm. how people, how power dynamics play out in interactions and then how people use or misuse or understand or misunderstand languages in those interactions. So I was sort of playing a lot in that space of language and communication in my own art practice and that sort of led me into language teaching and particularly language teaching the arts. Oh wow, that's 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 really incredible. And so the the work that you focus on making is it performance driven or is it more object driven in terms of how it manifests? I'm I'm primarily based in objects, although I, I would say that I think in objects, but then I make a lot of different things. Mm-hmm. Um, so the um, you know, so I do some some sculpture, some drawing, some video, sound, a little performance little installation. Oh, nice, nice. So it's sort, sort of a mixed bag of, of things, sort of depending on on, on what, what's what's necessary. Very, very cool. And you gave a presentation that I was so happy to get get to experience that, that talked a lot about 
risk-taking and failure. Can you tell us a little bit about sort of how that, how that came, came into your research realm as it yes. relates to language and, you know, foundations and all that good stuff? Yes. So this, so I presented on a project that I did um, actually before, before this job that I now have at CalArts, I used to teach at the Maryland Institute College of Art, MICA, in Baltimore. And uh, when I was there, I was, uh, my position was in the foundation department. So there I was teaching studio courses. I taught uh, an interdisciplinary studio course that was, you know, the foundation level course that all students took. And I taught the, I taught language enhanced sections of it. So in my sections, again, working with all international non-native speakers, we were working on both the sort of development as makers, but then pairing that with development as speakers in English. So the project that I was, that I talked about at CAA was so I had, this is a year-long class, which I think is great and really important for Oh, wow. So we were, this was, we were in the second semester and I was noticing that in the projects that my students were doing, we would have the kind of basic structure of the class was that they would have multi-week longer projects and then we would kind of check in at different stages and they would brainstorm and then come in with ideas and we would either do they would do group conferencing or we would do individual conferencing and I was noticing that in in these conferences when people were sort of talking through preliminary ideas that the it seemed to me that the level of risk that they were kind of interested in taking was really low and and you know especially because this was they hadn't you know they had sort of made models and they made sketches but they hadn't kind of gotten into the the mess of kind of making things. Sure. Uh, in my world, I was like, well, this is where you should be, your risk level should be super high. You know, it's sort of like sky's the limit at this point because mm-hmm. you, know, you want to you aim high and then see what you can, see what you can make with the resources available to you. But then when I was, when I was conferencing with students, they would say, you know, so I would ask them about their sort of how, how they felt about the risk of what they were doing. And, and I remember one student, I had one interaction that particularly stood out to me where a student said, well, this is a risk for me because I've done a lot of color photography, but I've never done black and white photography. And I was like, that's interesting because that's not something that I, I mean, I understand that that might be a challenge for you, but that, that for me, that doesn't really seem like a risk. But then I was sort of like, I caught myself and was like, well, wait, wait, wait. I haven't, we haven't actually defined these terms. So what I'm thinking of as a risk isn't necessarily the same as what you're thinking of as a risk and something, and sort of even beyond that, something that I would define as a risk for me isn't necessarily something that somebody else would define as a risk for themselves. So, so I was sort of kind of processing this interaction and thinking about how to kind of activate it in the classroom. So I came up with this assignment called SHIFT where the students, where we talked very explicitly about risk-taking, and I had, and so I shared with the students my own definition of risk-taking, and then, and sort of what it included and what it didn't include, and I described what I defined as the difference between doing something that I felt like was challenging and doing something that I felt like was really a risk. Uh, we got to talk about some great vocabulary, about stepping outside of your comfort zone, stepping outside of the box like that. Um, and then I had them 
write their own definitions of risk because it seemed to me, like I said, that it was a very kind of personal, it was a very personal thing. So that Mm -hmm. they need to determine for themselves what it meant to them. So I had them work on it individually and then in pairs, they partnered up and sort of shared things that were, that they had in common, things that were a little different. And then they sort of formalized a shared definition of risk for their partnership. So then mm-hmm. this, so then their own definitions became the, the criteria that we use as the class to talk about the projects that they were planning. So they could, they could propose any sort of project that they wanted to. It was a, multidisciplinary class, you know, they could, they could really go as crazy as they wanted to, but they had to, the only requirement was that it had to meet, it had to fit in with their definition of risk. So, oh, wow. And so is this, is this a project that you would do at the beginning of the semester and sort of like define these terms and sort of talk about this, or is this something that you sort of had to like build to throughout the semester? I, I did it the first time that I did it, it was in the second semester. I think, though, mm-hmm. that I would do it earlier. I would do it um, maybe midway through the first semester because I think it's really it's important to talk about, particularly at the beginning of the foundation year experience, because mm-hmm. it's so relevant to the way that students are sort of making sense of what they're doing. And I feel like there's so much information coming at them that one advantage is that it gives them autonomy over what's happening. So they're defining risk themselves. And then that criteria is, is what she used, like I said, to discuss and, and ultimately evaluate their project. So it gives them sort of control over what's happening in the classroom, mm-hmm. which that I'm always looking for in assignments, but it also gives them vocabulary and sort of a process of reflection to think about what they're, what they're doing and to have language to talk about it. So and I think that's important to to kind of forefront at the beginning of the foundation year so that students can, so that it can carry through, you know, throughout their, their semester or their year. Absolutely. And, and, and I know that, you know, you mentioned doing this with international students, but is this something that you feel like could work with any kind of class in terms of like a foundation course? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think, I think that risk-taking is something that, risk-taking and really the idea of failure specifically being something that's okay and even, dare I say, a good idea to do <laughs> is, is something that I, that I think is really hard for a lot of first-year students. You know, a lot of students have a very specific idea about what good work is and what it looks like. And I think that they have a, a hard time thinking in a different way about or sort of shifting their kind of value system to think about process mm-hmm. as opposed to just focusing on product. So I think, and I think that this is a way to, to really emphasize that shift. Oh, absolutely. And it just seems like something, I mean, I, I really appreciated how you talked about having that conversation about, is this something that's involving risk-taking or is this something that's just challenging? Uh-huh. You know, not to say that something that's just challenging is not exciting or not important, but that those two things aren't the same things necessarily. Right. And that having that conversation and really defining these terms that I think we're probably 
you know, I think it's easy in, in the first year experience to sort of say, oh, we need to worry about making sure they know what perspective is and right. mm-hmm. da, 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 all these like art mm-hmm. terms, which are very important, right. et cetera. But like, are we really telling them what risk taking is? Are we really telling them like what, what it means to have a practice and what it means to right. research? Yeah, that, that's so exciting. And so what, what are some things that you discovered in those conversations that the students are having and, and sort of sharing? Were they, were they more comfortable talking about it, you know, in pairs or in a large group? I mean, I think I, the way that I teach is they, they have opportunities to engage on many different levels, um, mm-hmm. you know, so, because some students uh, get very intimidated talking in the group, other students don't like working in pairs at all. So I sort of, mm-hmm. I set up the class so that it kind of runs the gamut, basically so that everyone is unhappy at some point. <laughs> and <laughs> un- uncomfortable, right. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But, but I mean, but, but also so that they have a chance to express themselves in a format in which they feel most comfortable. So then they, they can take that into other kind of contexts that feel less comfortable. So, and I, and I think the thing that was nice about it was that when we had the critique for that project, students were really making connections between their discussion of the form or the formal qualities of the work and mm-hmm. the process through which it was made or their, their sort of read of what that process was or the sort of, and I think it was because we were so focused on kind of the, the, the individual processes that led each artist to, you know, make the thing that she made. That mm-hmm. and and we talked. About, the other piece was that we talked about how do we define risk, but how do we assess it? So mm-hmm. that can't always, you know, when you're when you're looking at a made thing, that doesn't necessarily give you all of the information. So we talked about comparing the thing that the student had made to to stuff that we'd seen them make assignments or in other classes or and we talked about scale shifts that we talked about material shifts and we talked about um kind of how they were grappling with meaning in the work that they did. so I, I think that it was it was a way for students to sort of um put these connections into language so that it wasn't it wasn't just and and I also spent a lot of time talking about critique in my classes and yeah, it, was, it seems it seems uh, like that's a big yeah. thing that you really talk about a lot. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, and because this was the second semester I feel like they were already pretty well versed in they they were able to say a lot of different things. So mm-hmm. it it was nice then to see them put what they had learned into practice in this other way too. Oh, wow. And, and, and it seems like having that year-long course or ha- having that year-long experience, they can really see each other's patterns and right. habits and right. tendencies and crutches or whatever it is. Right. Um, and it seems like that they can really speak to that a lot because I, I know that we talk about that in, in, in the classes I teach, but I mean, it's a semester long, you know, so it's just like, well, you did right. this a couple of times, you know, right, but, right, exactly. um, but, but really getting to be able to speak to that, um, that, that trend, yep. um, seems like it would just be so informative to the critique experience. Yeah. yeah. I'm a big fan of the, of the year long class. I'm, I'm also teaching a year long class right now. And it's really, it's just, I feel like it's helpful for me to get the, to know the students better. I can give them, I can sort of tailor 
the assignments and feedback to their needs better. They can give each other better feedback. I just feel like there's something about the, there's just so much information in the first year that it's nice to sort of have like a through line in a class. Well, and have it be the same group, the same sort of um, community that's really being built so that it's not, you know, this is happening in drawing, but over here, this is happening in 3D or whatever. So that way it can all just sort of be this like melting pot of things. That makes a lot of sense. For some reason, I guess I I didn't realize that those those courses were a year long. That's really exciting. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, do you feel like um, international students are more fearful of this kind of understanding of risk-taking or challenging or talking about things in critique? Do you find that that's something that you've had to um, adapt? You know, critique critique is, is its own beast. So, so sure, sure. I think that the way that interactions happen in critique are just really you know, they can be really confusing, they can be really frustrating, they can be really challenging. And I think particularly for students that are still developing their language, there are additional challenges to a setting. And some of them, you know, can be just as simple as the person standing on the other side of the circle was really soft-spoken, so I didn't hear anything she said. So so I've left out of the, the last two minutes of conversation or... The, the guy on my left made reference to some kind of pop culture thing that I don't know. You know, so there are, right. sort of, there, there are linguistic things, there are cultural things that are challenging, and any situation where there is spontaneous language production, and particularly spontaneous language production in a group setting where you have multiple speakers and where the topic can kind of, you know, meander in sure. very unexpected ways... And and very abstract ways, really, mm-hmm. is a is a tricky linguistic context. Absolutely, because it's it's not like we're just chatting about math or you know one particular subject. I mean, in uh-huh. a critique, a lot of things come up, and a lot right. of um, conversations can can go in all different kinds of directions. Right good and bad you know Uh Um, Uh but I mean it seems like with with you having such experience teaching international students that that you would have different strategies that maybe could apply to all students in terms of Mm -hmm. being able to understand different like learning strategies or sensitivities or Mm -hmm. or what have you and I guess I'm just curious like what are some tips because critiques are just hard in general regardless Mm -hmm. of foundations or or anything and, and when things get off track it can just right. be so challenging as an instructor to know sort of how to <laughs> how how to handle that kind of tension or right. oh, did, did right. someone just get their feelings hurt or oh no right. do I need to back right. this up or this uh-huh. is getting this is getting weird so how how do you you know kind of strategize those kinds of scenarios right well the, the thing that I start with with my students is to say that in a critique, it's important to insert yourself into the conversation. And there are easy ways to do that, and there are more challenging ways to do that. So let's start with some of the easy ways. The, when, I, when I'm talking about critique initially, I, I sort of, this, this is, I use strategy that is adapted from, actually from a fake presentation that I saw about critique. So I start with American Idol. Nice. I like to use a lot of 
<laughs> pop culture references, even if they're now a little out of date. But you know, I feel like <laughs> I, mean, I feel like American Idol is pretty. You know, it's a pretty classic. It's um, classic, sure. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And, and I like to, um, you know, in my classic approach to American Idol, I like to use the original three judges. So talk oh, about, of course. I mean, you have to. So, um, <laughs> so the way that I, the way that I do it is I talk about, um, I assign each judge a role. So I talk about Paula as being the descriptive judge. So her role is to describe what she sees in the work and only what she sees. And then, you know, and then we talk about different vocabulary that you can use. You could talk about the color, you could talk about the scale, you could talk about the material, you could talk about the texture, you know, on and on and on. Mm -hmm. So, but her job is to, and even without those words, you can still describe what you're seeing. Then uh, Randy's job, he's the interpretive judge. So he, he talks about things that he's reminded of with the work. So (laughs) when I, when I look at this thing, it reminds me of another artwork it reminds me of situation it reminds me of something that you did earlier in the semester it reminds me of the story so Mm -hmm. so he's the one that's sort of talking about he's sort of building meaning into what he's looking at then simon everybody's favorite simon uh, he is the evaluative judge so he's talking about um what is working and what is not working Wow. And so yeah, is, is, is this for like one particular critique that you've done or is, is this for like a particular project or is this something that you kind of throw in at any point for any critique? This is actually, this is what I do on the very first day of class. So on the first day of class, I, I read, um, short bios of each of these, each of the judges. (laughs) <laughs> um, and and this, and this is great because it, then it becomes a listening activity for them also. So I read the bios. They take notes on the um, characteristics of each of these people. Uh, and then I put them into groups and they give them boxes full of stuff. There's fabric, there's paper, there's glue, there's, you know, just a random collection of things usually that mm-hmm. I over the summer for free and so they so they have this box of stuff and they and so this is the first day so they don't know each other so they have to work together in teams to make a performative or or a wearable sculpture uh that represents each of the judges so there's a team paula there's a team randy there's team simon oh Uh, wow and, and then they have to present their their wearable sculptures to the class and talk about why they've, you know, why they made them the way that they made. So then, and then there's a follow-up activity where then they have to trade uh, materials for um, performative um, wearable sculptures. And then they have to very quickly make sort of a small handheld version that that still represents this person. So a lot of people we'll do some version of some kind of costume-like thing for, for Paula. Because, right. uh, and, then, and then maybe the second interpretation would be a microphone. Uh, she's, oh. you know, so something like that. So, but, then, but then these props then uh, stay with us in the class. And so I can hand someone Paula's microphone during a critique, and then that means that they need to give a descriptive comment about the work. So they, put, they sort of... they they're student generated, but then they, they, you know, maintain this meaning and this purpose throughout the class 
to kind of reinforce these ways of talking about work. Ah, that's so wonderful. Well, so I'm curious, what do they come up with for Randy? Like, what does that look like? Because I'm envisioning all this, like, Paula stuff. Yeah, what's that? Uh There are a lot of guitars. Oh, right, yeah. right. Yeah. Simon, there are a lot of, like, you know, monster, devil, horn, mask kinds of things. <laughs> uh, that, that, yeah. um, but then, so then in addition to these uh, kind of general categories, then the other thing that we talk about is language that students can use that are essentially sentence starters that lead to particular types of comments. So, for example, mm. for a descriptive comment, you could say, the first thing that I noticed about this piece was, and then you fill in the end. So the beginning of the sentence sort of prompts you to be specific, and then you, as the viewer, respond in with, you know, whatever information makes the most sense to you. And I have these sort of divided, you know, by type of comments, so descriptive, interpretive, evaluative comments. And then, and then I, because I like laminating machines, may have <laughs> put them onto uh, index cards and laminated them, and then I can also pass those out in, during a critique. So um, that's nice because the, it gives, it makes the stress of trying to figure out what you need to say. Like, part of the problem is, People often say they don't know what to say because they don't have anything to say or there are too many things to say or they don't know if somebody's mm-hmm. already said them mm-hmm. want to say. And this is a way to really narrow the focus down. And so then all you're doing is figuring out how to finish the sentence. So you don't you don't have to process the you don't have to process the linguistic tools as much. You just need to focus on what what that prompts in you for how to finish the sentence. Well, and plus, I think it's just so smart because it makes it more playful. It's almost like a Mad Libs sort of a scenario, you know, where, yeah, where the pressure no need to sound smart to make sure. Exactly. Um, because I think they do well, which comes from a wonderful place, but then they end up repeating comments or it just ends up being this sort of softball, let's talk about nothing, but, exactly. but keep talking. You know? right. And then, and I mean, you know, I mean, critiques are always performances, but in, but particularly mm-hmm. that situation, then it becomes a situation where they're thinking more about the thing that they're going to say and then nobody's listening to anybody else and it's not, right. there's not really engagement. It's just sort of like this individual, like, I have to say something, so I'm going to say something and now the next person's like, it. now I have to say a thing, so I'm going to thing so uh, so we also talk about the sort of direction of um the conversation so uh, mm. that you oftentimes we think about like a, one viewer talking to the artist and then the artist may be responding or and, you know and then the next viewer says something to the artist and then the artist responds so it's a very sort of like it's almost like you know a series of 18 or 24, like what, you know, like one-on-one conversations. Mm, so we mm-hmm. also talk about language that you can use to respond to something that somebody else has said so mm. that you're, so that you're um, piggybacking on another comment or that you're linking a comment, your comment to something that, that somebody said, you know, a couple comments ago. So that it doesn't just have to be kind of a one-to-one exchange. 
Um, sure. But, so, yeah. yeah. So, so you can say things like, um, you know, I agree with what so-and-so just said, and I'd like to add this thing, or I agree, but I think that this is missing, or I disagree because of this thing, or I disagree, and here's something else to think about. You know, so there are different ways to kind of uh, follow up on something. And again, so that then you're not in charge of sort of generating everything about your comment, but that you can really narrow down your focus. Well, and this this way I think is, is smart because then it's not like each comment is connected to the one before. And so it's right. not like a bunch of people having these random things are saying out loud that, right. that are disconnected and maybe they're not listening or really actually responding, that it's more mm-hmm. co- collaborative, perhaps? Exactly. The other, the other thing that I do is um, I won't talk during a critique or I won't talk for the first, you know, first half of the critique. So I won't talk and the artist can't talk. So then oh. in, order, in order for there to be a critique, other people <laughs> have to talk. Because I, because I think what, you know, one of the things that I hate is when a student says something and then they just look at me immediately, sort of like, was that right? Did I say that right? Is that okay? Mm -hmm. Was that okay? What do you think? Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, so I think, I think that if I just tell them like, I'm not going to say anything, this is your critique. And as long as they have the supports in place to know how to do, excuse me, to know how to do it, then I think it sort of takes that pressure away also. Well, and then they have ownership of it. It's something that they're creating. It's not something that's, like, happening to them. You know what I mean? Like, oh, she made us do this, you know? Um, But I'm curious, like, has that ever just gone really wrong? Like, have you ever had an experience where you're like, I'm not going to talk. You guys have got this. And then there's just, like, nothing happening. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and, and I mean, and that's the, that's, in those situations, that's why it's especially nice to have all these props that I can, you know, throw in people's hands so that I can still be kind of moving around the critique. But if I hand you a card that says, um, I thought about it completely differently, I think, and then you have to finish the sentence, then you have to finish the sentence. So, you know, so I can sort of, it's a way the card can also um, function as a way to scaffold the conversation. So that's still very student generated, but it's, but it's not just saying like, yeah, all right, well, you guys just go figure this out right now so I think I think it's it's what I'm always thinking about is um how much scaffolding is necessary for students to have ownership over what's happening in the classroom Mm, yeah because it seems like how how you pace things and how you sort of build things upon things that happened previously um is really crucial so that they feel like they're not just sort of thrown out into the wilderness but but that that they have the tools Mm -hmm. have you had to teach these kinds of classes several times to sort of feel like the pacing is right or is this something that you have to kind of reinvestigate each semester or each year with different groups of students and different learning needs yeah, I mean, I think it always depends on the group. And, this, you know, this is not specific to international students. This is for, for any, sure. you know, any teaching context. Um, you know, so I, I feel like I have, I have things that I tend to do. And then I, I have ways of pacing them that, that have made sense in the past. Mm-hmm. But I can always sort of speed up or slow down depending on how the group is responding. Or, you know, take more time to focus on one thing. So if I know that I want to, that I really want to forefront 
the way that we participate in a critique and how the and how critique as a genre functions. Like if that's my goal, then I can approach that from many different ways. So it's not like I don't I don't feel particularly bound to getting through specific material on a timeline as long as I'm able to address that learning goal, you know, as as a whole. And then, and then I have different ways of working toward that in each class and with each, you know, kind of thing that we're, that we're doing in the class. But it, but it's, you know, it's a little bit, when, when I try to stick really rigidly to um, a plan, it never works for me. Because then I, I found that not, too. I'm not, yeah. I just, I, like I'm not able to be responsive to the to the information really that the students are giving, right? So if I have a critique that just fails because nobody's saying anything and and nobody's saying anything, even after, you know, I sort of like pull out all my bells and whistles with all the microphone and the the (laughs) horns and and the cars and whatever, then we'll stop and talk about what's happening and like why students aren't participating, you know? And so, and then we talk about like, what and and maybe at that point I'll have students stop and like do some reflection journaling to talk about like mm. why was this hard or you know what what's going on with you today or you know just to just sort mm-hmm. of like, do like a check in because I think that that's equally as important as just sort of I well I, I think that's not true I think it's more important than just sort of like plowing ahead and being like well, this didn't work, so let's just move on. But to, but to look specifically, you know, to, like, hear from students themselves about what was going on, why it didn't work, what was confusing or, mm-hmm. or frustrating, and then, to, and then to really address those things head on is, I think, the, the best way to, to teach in a way that's reflecting students' actual needs in real time. Right. And it, and it's not just, okay, well, we need to be done with this critique at 4.13, right. so right. let's right. go, let's go, let's go, and I have all this stuff on this calendar that I need to do, and okay. and I mean, and I, I love calendars for real, but <laughs> but it's it's also, you know, you can really get lost in that sort of curriculum planning extravaganza yep. and, um, and sort of lose sight of, okay, wait a minute, like this just happened and let's really mm-hmm. talk about it. Let's really unpack okay. it and let's really see like, what do you guys need? What do you not need? You know, and I, I, I definitely appreciate, you know, how you talked about power dynamics and sort of being in, interested and curious about that as, as it relates to teaching, but also as yep. it relates to your own practice. And, mm-hmm. you know, I'm curious, like how are, what are some, some tips for, I guess, you know, handling different power dynamics that we might observe in class, whether it be Mm -hmm. with students who maybe are not maybe feeling as welcome as they could be Mm -hmm. or feeling sort of outside or feeling Mm -hmm. um, underappreciated or, you know, even just new in school and feeling awkward. I mean, are there things that you found are helpful in terms of not, not just observing those kinds of potential struggles, but, but sort of feeling a way through how, how to address those? Yeah. I mean, I think, I think, I think that's so important, and I think that it can really drastically change a student's experience in a class. Sure, sure. Um, in a, in a way, you know, on the negative end, it can be really detrimental to their to their experience. Mm-hmm. And 
One of the things that I think is really important is to be really explicit about things that we often take for granted. So, for example, critiques are so central, not only in the foundation year, but throughout the student's entire school experience. And we do them all the time, but we rarely talk about how we do them or why we do the things that we do. Mm. And, and so it seems like, it can seem like this thing that's very alienating because it can be seen very arbitrary and it can seem very much like the system that seems to have some sort of logic, but I don't get the logic of it. And, and I think it's hard to figure out how to insert yourself into a situation like that when you're not sure exactly how it's working or why it's working that way. Mm-hmm. So that's what I'm thinking about when generally, you know, specifically about critique, but then generally when I'm talking to students about their experience as students in, the, you know, in a school, in an art sure. school, you know, and in, in, in all these contexts. One of the other things that I do is uh, what with my students, but that I think would be also relevant, you know, to any student is that I have them do um, what I sort of darkly call art speak goal. So every week, <laughs> every week they have to come up with a goal. For my students, they tend to be they they're sort of highlighting interaction and speaking, mm-hmm. although not exclusively. So the the idea is that they have to pick a small goal that's manageable. And they they do it each week. And the goal could be something like this week I want to, you know, at the beginning of school, I want to go up to my professor at the end of class, introduce myself and, you know, have a two minute conversation. So, so they, but, and it's up to the student to set the goal. So if that's the goal, then they have to come up with a strategy that, that, that will help them that I want them to you know it's a specific thing that you can say afterward I did this thing or I did not do this thing you know so you it has to be measurable in some way and then the the strategy also has to be it can't be vague it has to be very specifically useful right so in the example of I want to go introduce myself to my professor after class I'm going to and you know we, we talk because I use sentence starters and critique like we talk about using sentence starters in other contexts, right? So I might say uh, in this strategy, like the student might say, I'm going to start the sentence by saying, I was really interested in this thing in class today. You know, so that okay. so they have so they have something that they can start the conversation with. So then so right. then they're just not you know just not walking walking in sort of blind to say like, oh I have to say something I don't know what to say. I'm really nervous. You know, but if I but if I say, you know, hi, Valerie, I was really interested in blah, blah, blah that we did in class today. And then that and then, you know, you'll probably respond with something and then it'll just sort of get the conversation going. And it'll sort of then, trigger. Yeah, exactly. I think we might have dropped out a little bit just in, in terms of Skype, which is hilarious that we're talking about <laughs> communication and all these amazing things. I, I was able to understand that you're talking about the them setting the art goal yeah. for themselves. And this this comes from just their own understanding, their own boundaries, their own things that are challenging. So you don't have like a list that you give them. It's just something they completely self-generate. They, they self-generate. Right? I mean, I give what I have them do is they have to write the goal in class and then they have to show it to me before they get to leave. That way, if they're 
not sure what to do or if they've written it where it's too broad or something like they will they'll get some feedback from me before they go out and do it I will give them like like categories of things um and then if they're really you know if they're they're really struggling to come up with something I you know I might say like well what are some of the things that you have to do this week and what will be challenging about them oh to sort of help them like brainstorm them so that they because sometimes like oh I have to have a goal oh this has to be really grand and you know life-changing in some kind of way and so and so then once they they've gone through the the week and then they they come back to class do they share how that went with you or do they write about it or is that something so I have it as one it's like one piece of paper so they they write their goal is what the strategy is then they go and try to do it and then there's a really short section where they say I was able I accomplished my goal yes no kind of and then they (laughs) they write you know a couple sentences about about that experience and then after that they they say accomplishing this goal was very challenging kind of challenging not you know, and then so then they're sort of assessing how difficult it was, and and this is really interesting because um, you know sometimes students will say, I thought it was going to be awful. I thought it was going to be really hard to talk to Valerie because she's so intimidating. But then when we, <laughs> we had a conversation, it went really well. You know, so um, so you know, or they'll say, I thought this was going to be really hard, and it was really hard. You know, and right. but the other thing about it is because because they're setting the goals themselves, they can do the same goal three weeks in a row. You know, so, oh, okay. if, so if, like this week I tried to go and talk to my painting professor and she was really busy. So I didn't get I didn't have a chance to. I'm going to try again next week because this is it's a really important relationship to me. Mm. Yeah, so 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 they can they can repeat goals. They can recycle goals. They can, you know, so and it's supposed to be the way that I pitch it to them is that this is not something that's additional work for you. This is something that should make your, your existing work easier to do. So oh, yeah. the, idea of, the idea of making a goal is not like you said to do something super grand and life-changing, but just to help you with something that you already have to do to make it a little bit easier. Well, and, and hopefully that will encourage them to see those ways in which things are connected, yep. you know, that, that you have this conversation, you step out of a comfort zone, you, you do something that engages you in a practice and in process, mm-hmm. um, and it's all part of a habit, right? And exactly. so then that, that can inform, you know, you had a conversation with your painting professor, well, then that made you, you know, feel much better about your project, and then exactly. you were able to accomplish exactly. this goal, and um, and so does this happen each each week throughout the whole yep. year, or the whole semester? It, it depends on the class. I usually do it for at least a full semester each week. You know, then they bring them in and then I comment on them and then, you know, they have another one each week. But my comments are really just, it's more conversational, sort of like, mm-hmm. you know, and, and really encouraging, you know, like it's so sure. great that you tried this. I'm so glad to hear that it wasn't this that Valerie wasn't as scary as you, th- you thought she was, but you know, or what, whatever, or right. you know, it, it seems like it seems like maybe this goal was a little bit too challenging. What what if you reframed it so you were working on just part of it by writing it this way? You know, so so I'm kind of giving oh, sure. back way, but really, you know, the, the, they get credit for doing it. For, and so for, and so, this is something that's great. At then, is this something that you kind of put into like a participation sort of grade kind of thing yeah yeah oh wonderful but but it's not rated as 
not graded in terms of sort of like the quality of their sure. challenge, right? But like, are they, are they doing this? Are they reflecting? Are their goals appropriately challenging? And then, and then I do a midterm, they, they do a midterm review where they go back and look at the, the first half of the class's goals. And, and so they look at like, well, my goals were mostly focused on interacting with my professors. So this, the second half of the semester, I really like, that's really important. So I'm going to continue it Or the second half of the semester. I'd really like to shift my focus to interacting with my other classmates, or I'd like to shift my focus to time management. These goals actually have been with time management um, challenges because then they can say, I haven't slept for three days in a row or whatever. And so I could use this really help me schedule my time better. The thing that I ask them not to do is really to make, to set goals that, that are about the product of their art making. So mm. to say, like, I want to make, I want to make this thing look really good. You know, right. but, but then, <laughs> that it, if that's what they want their goal to be, then to say like, well, what do you need to do? What kind of interactions do you need to have? What kind of questions do you need to ask? What kind of timeline do you need to build yourself in order to, to do that? And to make that into the goal that, that helps you achieve this thing that I also know is important to you. Wow. I mean, what a wonderful way to like archive their own yep. life as an artist. I mean, I want to try this. I mean, this is wonderful, <laughs> you know, just in terms of, of thinking about, you know, like those, those little things that, that become sort of how you look at the world. Have, yep. have you encountered um, any of these um, students that as they've, you know, been sophomores or juniors that maybe they keep up this habit or is, is that something that you kind of encourage them to do? I mean, I, I, I do, I leave it up to them though, because sure. I know that it's not something like I, the, the thing about this is that I feel like once it becomes something you have to do, then that tends to be when people stop doing it, you know? So I really, I really want to sort of like woo them into thinking that this is something that's really helpful <laughs> and that actually doesn't take up that much time, you know, and that actually it teaches them more about themselves and how they work and what they want to do. That's um, so great. Cause it's sort of like sneaky. <laughs> exactly. So I feel like, I feel like that's the basis for most of my, most of my. <laughs> nope. Sneaking it in there. I, yep. I love it. I love it. <laughs> well, and I mean, all, all of these kinds of like strategies, it seems like you're, you're creating a balance between having a really fun environment for her learning, but then also having a space where all the students feel, you know, that they can be engaged yep. in, in various different levels of conversation or, right. um, or critique. And that's, that's a balance I think that we would all want to have in a classroom. Mm-hmm. And I'm just wondering, you know, how, if, if there's someone that's maybe not sure how to be- begin this kind of strategizing, how, how would you encourage them to start? Or, cause it seems like you've just got so many great approaches and I'm, I'm just wondering if someone's listening that maybe hasn't thought about talking about critiques or mm-hmm, mm-hmm. implementing sort of gaming or different right. things in their classroom, you know, do you have any tips for, you know, how, how to be sort of more tuned in to, to that kind of learning environment? Mm-hmm. I mean, I think, I think what you said about engagement is really key to me. So what I'm thinking about is like, I, I don't feel like my job is to entertain the students by any means, mm-hmm. but I definitely feel like my job is to get them engaged. Mm-hmm. So, so I think about, and, and I also, <laughs> you know, I think about how to be sneaky a lot. So I think about like <laughs> how, like, 
what's what's something that it that seems like would be fun to do? You know, if I if I'm sort of like I don't you know I'm sort of like lost about what's happening, right? Going back to the very beginning, like the the assignment about risk taking. Mm-hmm. So that to me started with what seems to be the problem, like from my perspective, like what is it that, that it seems like there's something that's not being communicated or that there's something that I am thinking about risk taking that the student is not thinking about risk taking. So mm-hmm. what's, the, what's the communicative gap that's happening there? And then how can I describe that gap in, in language and images in a way that make sense to me and can lead to a discussion with students? And then how can I do that in a way that is engaging? I have to want to do the thing that I'm asking the students to do, which I feel like, you know, sort of like a a thing that a lot of us know already. But, you know, if you're, (laughs) if you're, if you're asking your students to do something that you yourself already find boring, it's probably not going to work. You know, so so I feel like, uh, you know, and, and everybody has their own teaching, but I think that for each of us, there's something that engages us. I, I mean, for me, it definitely is about, it's about games, it's about interaction, it's about figuring out how, I want to know how to kind of slip in between the rules to do all sorts of things to kind of play with them. So mm-hmm. in order to do that, I need to be really sure that I know what they are. So mm-hmm. finding ways to make that really explicit that's why that's so important to me. Mm. Well, I think in, in, you know, in having a conversation about risk-taking and having a conversation about failure, it seems important to also talk about, like, how do you know when it's going well? Or, like, how, how do you measure success in, in that sort of learning environment? Is it that mm-hmm. they said all the right words or that the projects look a certain way? Mm-hmm. Or, you know what I'm saying, like, in terms of thinking about the, the process, which I right. know you've talked about, versus right. that really cool, arty thing that looks awesome right. that, that they turn out at the end of the semester or something. Right, right. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm way less interested in the really cool, arty thing that looks awesome. But I want to know, I mean, I, I think that's important for them's grand scheme of things, you know, mm-hmm. if, if they want to be making really cool arty things that look awesome in the world. But I think in a classroom setting that that's not the priority. I think the priority is really the the process of making the thing. When I'm writing an assignment, I want there to be multiple opportunities for me to kind of assess students' thought process, assess their idea development, assess their the way that they're questioning themselves and each other, mm-hmm. the way that they're talking about the work. So it's, it's not so much saying the right thing, but saying something of substance, you know? So, sure, so and, sure. I, and I think that that's an important distinction because I think that, you know, the other thing that foundation, your programs, I, I feel like there's a lot of focus on vocabulary development and I, and I don't think that that's bad necessarily, but I, I think that, I think that there's, I don't know, there can be sort of an idea that as long as, you know, as long as if you can sort of like tick off that I know how to use all of these words, that that will right. mean saying something useful, which, right. which is not necessarily the case, right? So, and, and the thing about language is that you can talk about the same idea in many different ways. So you're not necessarily bound to a certain set of vocabulary words or vocabulary word, right? So if you don't, mm-hmm. if you don't know the word for scale, you can still talk about 
how big something is, how small something is, its size. Sure. You know, there, there, not that not that it's unimportant to know the word scale, but that there are a lot of different ways to talk about that idea and to so, communicate that idea. Exactly, yeah, yeah, exactly. And so that's really what I'm more focused on in my class, in my classes. And to say like, you know, to, to talk more about the, the why and the how than the, you know, than the who, what, where kinds of mm-hmm. questions. Yeah. And it seems like there are, well, it seems like you're being intentional about having a lot of layers, I guess, mm-hmm. you know, to, to an activity or to right. a project, not, not, not to say that it's complex or anything in like a negative way, but, but right. just that it has, it has a lot of, of meat to it. Right. Um, so that it's not just sort of one and done. We did this, we're moving exactly. on, whatever. And, and I thought, you know, in, in the, the CAA uh, presentation, you just did such a nice job talking about how to, how to sort of build a curriculum, you know, that, that things aren't like an island, that it's not mm-hmm. this, this one mm-hmm. project that's going to save your program or, you right. know, or that it's, it's not this, this <laughs> right. one magic thing, but, right. but that you're like building and there's pacing. And mm-hmm. I feel like so often in foundations, I mean, and, and I know that I, I do this sometimes I'm so quick to be like, Oh, this is a cool project. I, I just want right. to try it, shove it in, throw it in there, you know, uh-huh. like, right. and we'll see what happens later. But, um, right. but just sort of like the, the pacing I thought was really, um, really new to me in terms of really making me think about that in a really specific way. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I think that another, for me, the way that I think about it is through scaffolding, right? Sure. So, and, and like, I'm, I'm also a huge fan of new projects and I think that that's a way, you know, that can really energize your teaching because if, if you're excited about it, I feel like it's way more likely the the students are going to be excited about it. So that, but then the the thing that I want to know is, you know, like what needs to happen in the progression of teaching this project so that it's kind of broken out into kind of chunks of information that will challenge students, but not overwhelm them. Mm -hmm. So, So then, so then they can kind of, then they have access to what you're doing, you know, and, and like, and of course, like, I don't get it right all the time. So I might think like, oh, you know, like th- they're totally going to get this. And then <laughs> like, nope, that was sure. <laughs> I, I shot way too high in that class. So then the next class I'll go back and try it again, you know? So, mm-hmm. and I, and I think that flexibility to really make those kind of curricular decisions in my team, mm-hmm. um, that are, that are so important to the way that I teach. And I, I know that not everybody has that luxury, so it can be kind of tricky to, work within a structure that you it's feeling like you're kind of cramming yourself into a little bit mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but I, I think that there are you know there there are sort of like certain things that I know about myself and about the way that I like to design classes you know so I want I want there to be some sort of game element in them I want you know I want there to be a lot of interaction happening I want there to be uh students to be reflecting on their own processes I you know I want so I have I I figure out how to kind of manipulate the the structure of the assignment to fit those things in and make them not peripheral but peripheral can't say that word but really (laughs) really central to to what is valued in the assignment Sure. Absolutely. Well, and it's, you know, and it seems like you've, you've probably, um, gathered 
some knowledge, you know, in terms of being able to teach at Cal Arts and then teaching a similar group of students in Maryland, you know, like at, at Mike. And I'm, I'm just, I'm curious, you know, what are, what are some things that, that you're seeing as like trends in foundations as it relates to international students? Are, are there things that you're seeing happening or um, that you've sort of been aware of? I'm, I mean, I have been seeing more and more international students, which is exciting for me. Sure. Um, and I, I think that the, the challenge then is, as you said, to make sure that these students feel like they have a place and are supported, particularly when they're in classrooms with native speakers. So one of the challenges there, I think, is to, you know, for, for instructors who don't have a background in language teaching is knowing sort of what to do to like what what are the students actual needs and and how are those different maybe from what they what the teacher might think the needs are which I think is a can be tricky particularly when um, I feel like people get people can get really intimidated by language and particularly when there are multiple languages happening in a classroom that that can feel very overwhelming for, for, you know, for teachers who are trying to make sure that everybody is coming on time and that they have all these, you know, they have all this stuff that they want to get through and to make sure that they have to get the, the management that goes into a mm-hmm. class, you know, that the, and where you're sort of juggling 5,000 things all at the same time. And then to think about how am I making sure that, all of the students in my class have what they need to be able to be an active member of our community. Mm. And I think that is definitely possible. I mean, it's so important to the class and I think really the, the future of foundation programs because they're so central to students' experiences over the next three years of their education that they, that they need to find, they need to have a place, you know, particularly in that curriculum because there's so, there's so much growing that's happening mm-hmm. <laughs> for, for these kids in that year. And, you know, to, to have it be a place where they really can take risks and have a voice and feel included is so important. Yeah. And, and just for, for them and anyone, you know, to, to feel like they have per- permission to be themselves, exactly. you know, and, and to be heard and, um, yeah. And, and feel like that's a good, you know, safe learning environment for the faculty, for the students, for, for everyone. Right, right. Yeah. Well, man, Allison, it has just been lovely talking to you today. This yeah, it's been great. such a treat. Yeah, I really appreciate your time, and I really enjoyed your presentation at CAA, and I definitely look forward to um, to more conversations, you know, yeah. about all these things. And um, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. This was great. Thank you for listening to this episode of Positive Space. If you're interested in being part of FATE's ongoing conversation about art foundations, visit the FATE website at foundationsart.org. Don't forget the dash between foundations and art. This episode's interview was conducted by Valerie Powell and was engineered and edited by Raymond Gaddy. Our theme music was provided by Lee Rosevere. If you like what you hear on Positive Space, be sure to give us a review at iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever it is you find your podcast. Better yet, send us some audio. 
you can call Positive Space at 904-990-FATE. That's 904-990-3283. You may find your voice on the next episode of Positive Space.